And unfortunately, we're just stuck in the mud at the moment because we've got to, you know, cleanse ourselves of the mistakes that were made, you know, with uh, too much money supply, you know, lower cost of funding, you know, you know, uh, too much money poured into uh, obsolescence, you know, we're going to get through this period and it's just going to be fabulous where we're going to go after this. Welcome back, everyone, to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show, the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on all around us and explore the disruptive convergence of technology, business, and people. Here are your hosts, Ira Wolf and Jason Cochran. Hey, welcome everyone to a very special episode of Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization, a show from the People Forward Network. I'm Ira Wolf, and thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. And I'm Jason Cochran. If you think this is just another podcast, think again. We're the voice of the most important and crucial conversations that are confronting business leaders and people in today's ever-changing world. Our goal is to bring you ways to reimagine tomorrow and explore the impact and the convergence of business, people, and technology. If there is any doubt we are living in never normal times, all you need to do is turn on the news or strike up a conversation over a coffee about the jobs, labor, and the economy. For most of our recent history, when inflation went up, the economy slowed, demand fell, companies cut back, employees lost their jobs, unemployment went up. That was typical. That was normal. Well, welcome to 2022, when nothing seems to be working the way we thought it should or would. So we are honored and grateful to welcome a few experts to the show to help us figure this out, to help us make us smarter, to see what's going to go on. Are we headed toward recession? What is going to happen with jobs, the markets? First of all, we've got Dick Beauvais. He might be a familiar face to many of you. He's been on television well over 1,500 times. You might have seen him on Bloomberg, CNBC, Fox Business, CNN. If you don't watch TV, you missed him on TV. You probably saw his name in over 10,000 interviews in print media. Dick is the chief financial strategist at Odeon Capital Group and a highly sought after thought leader for investors, the media, and even the White House. Joining Dick is Matt Van Alstyne co-founder and managing partner of Odeon Capital Group, a leading Wall Street executive. Matt and Dick team up each week on the podcast Odeon Capital Conversations, known for their well-informed outlook and views, which is now one of the top-rated podcasts. And we're going to hear in a minute, also joining us, is John Aiden Byrne. Uh, John is an award-winning journalist, media uh, multimedia editor, host of the popular podcast, uh, Dig Life Deep, which I have a regular segment on there, Future Shock. Hopefully that you're listening to that as well. And he's also host and moderator of the Odeon Capital Conversation, which, as I said just a minute ago, is one of the top rated podcasts. I believe it's in the top 30 on Apple. If you haven't been listening to either of these podcasts, I highly recommend it. Uh, and also check out my Future Shock 2.0 segment each week on Dig Life Deep. Let's just get started here. And I'm going to bring in Dick, and I'm going to bring in Matt, and I'm going to bring in John. And welcome to Geek Skeezers and Googleization, gentlemen. Thank you. Welcome. Uh, pleasure to be here. 
John, I'm, I'm going to throw this to you first. You started Odeon Capital Conversations. Uh, you're only into it 33 episodes. And what's your secret? You, you're somewhere, <laughs> you, you need the top of the charts. <laughs> oh, well, well, certainly flattered. The secret is the uh, excellent contributions of Dick Beauvais and Matt Van Alstein, two well-informed Wall Street veterans. Dick has covered the banking industry for decades. As you said, he's been quoted in media multiple times, and Matt has a really well-informed view. We pick out the right topics each week that we're specializing in interest rates, monetary policy, jobs, banks. We even covered student loans recently, and in the latest episode, a uh, bit of a teaser here, we look at Goldman Sachs, why workers have been asked to return to work. So. A lot of different reasons, um, but we're delighted to bring it to our audience. And, and it's wonderful to be here. So you, you already uh, you, you threw the, the one boulder into the, into the pond, John. So we want to get the opinion on uh, what's going on at Goldman Sachs. I mean, I've brought this up several times. The trend is certainly moving to hybrid work. We've got a lot of our audiences, our business leaders, HR leaders, uh, speaking at a lot of conferences. Uh, you know, the issue of bringing people back to work or developing a hybrid workplace, a remote workplace, um, an everywhere workplace, as we call it. Uh, and yet the, the uh, you know, two leading uh, CEOs, uh, Jamie Dimon at, uh, and, and um, Elon Musk, who's in the news all the time. They're saying everybody has to come back to work or you're fired. So Dick, you have some some insights into what's going on. And I, I guess we can ask you if it's going to work and where you think the everywhere workplace is headed. Well, I think that uh, the basic problem that you're seeing with Goldman Sachs and uh, JP Morgan, uh, I don't know Elon Musk's uh, situation at all, but is that uh, business is really lousy. In other words, if you take uh, a look at uh, what's been happening in the investment banking industry over the last few months, uh, the declines have been, you know, startling. They're so huge. In, in other words, uh, you know, things like, um, you know, equity offerings are off 75% uh, this past couple of months on a year over year basis. You know, mergers and acquisitions are down 75%. Uh, high, uh, high yield, uh, you know, offerings are down 81%. So what, what, what these companies are experiencing is a tremendous decline in their business and they they have decided, uh, I think, very correctly, that the best way to stimulate, uh, you know, this business again is you've got to get everybody back to the office. You've got to get them working together. You've got to get them on the phone. You've got to be supervising their activity. You've got to be watching uh, what they're doing, who they're going with uh, in terms of uh, meeting with clients, uh, you know, in the evening or what have you. So I think that uh, Goldman Sachs, uh, I hesitate to use the word frightened, but I think that they, they're very frightened by what they're seeing in the market right now because the expectation is that the Federal Reserve will make it even tighter, make the business even tougher. So they've got to get their people back and they've got to get them going. And that's the reason for, for bringing these people back, back, back into the office. I just want to put a reminder out for anyone who's uh, listening. If you have a question for Dick or Matt or John, um, please, you can enter them into the comments. Uh, we we can follow those. So if you're watching on YouTube or uh, watching on LinkedIn, put them in the comments and uh, we'll try to get them. If not, uh, we'll make sure Dick and, and Matt get them afterwards and, uh, we'll, and, and can respond to them. Uh, so 
that we've got mostly and Matt, uh, both of you, I want to hear from you. Uh, we've, you know, most of our audience is uh, HR, human resource, uh, consultants, coaches, uh, and as well as business leaders of uh, small, medium-sized businesses. And uh, and I'm sure we have a, we may have a few larger uh, people representing larger enterprises. Let's make. How does this impact this? Where where is it going? Are, are J.P. Morgan and Tesla are they the exceptions? Where where do you see? How do you see remote work, hybrid work? you know, affecting the labor markets down the road? Well, I, I actually think that uh, people will be coming back to the office uh, in, in, in most instances because I think the nature of employment is about to change. By that, I mean, we've come through a cycle in which uh, consumerism, uh, technology, uh, you know, has allowed people to work away from the office. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the, just the remarkable things like Zoom, et cetera, you know, have allowed them to communicate with each other pretty effectively. Uh, however, I think what we're seeing in terms of the decline in the market, the weakness in the economy uh, is basically a shifting in the nature of the U.S. economy. And, and basically, I think in other countries also away from consumerism, uh, planned obsolescence in, in business toward uh, more basic businesses. I think we're going back to manufacturing. I think we're going to go into natural resource uh, development despite you the, the pollution issues related there. I think the defense industry is going to be significantly uh, bolstered. Uh, and I think banking uh, is going to be necessary to fund the growth in those sectors. So I think the nature of the jobs in the businesses that I mentioned require being in, in place, in, in the unit, uh, in, in, in the office or in the factory or what have you, as opposed to be working, uh, you know, uh, you know in, at home in, or someplace, uh, you know, away from the office. And by the way, to show you I'm somewhat of a hypocrite, I work from home. <laughs> <laughs> Just to put this out and, and be real, I mean, we, we talk, you know, certainly remote work, hybrid work, uh, this whole conversation where we started ha is focused on remote work. But at this point in time, even if we had 100% of people who were eligible who can possibly do their jobs remotely, it's still only 40% of the workforce. 60% of jobs, at least at this point, uh, without virtual reality and and some increased automation, which we can we can talk about, uh, are still have to be done in person. Uh, you know, there, there's some healthcare uh, things like healthcare that can be done tele remotely. Even some surgeries can be done remotely, but it's not commonplace. So we still have we're only talking about 40% of the workplace um, that can possibly do it. And you know, we we all are privileged that we have that opportunity to be able to do that, but there's many jobs. I still can't get my trash collected uh, as they came by this morning um, and have it done remotely. Uh, maybe in the future, we'll be able to figure that. Uh, there, there's, you know, every day there seems to be a, a big story about layoffs. Again, most of them seem to be in tech, but uh, you know, Snap the other day said they're laying off 20% of their workplace. Uh, Google's laid off, Apple's laid off, Meta's laid off. Um, the list just goes on and on. Is that reflective of, of, of the general economy? You know, the new numbers came out. It looked like many industries increased. Well, I think it is. It's certainly reflective of the general economy in, in, in one regard. Uh, you know, as I say, a shift in the nature of where business is going to be done. But I also think that, uh, you know, the structure of the uh, employment market at the moment would imply, I think, that uh, layoffs are going to continue. By that, I mean, if we look at productivity, 
uh, in manufacturing, productivity is actually improving. But for, for in, in business in general, productivity has been decreasing for the last uh, couple of quarters. And it's decreasing because we've added a lot of people. Uh, they're working fewer hours and we're paying them more money. So basically, if you're a corporation or, or a small business and, and you, you've added a few people because you're afraid that you're not going to get workers because you hear about two jobs available for every one uh, person uh, out there willing to take it. Uh, but, but, but what you're finding is that maybe you hire too many people, number one. Maybe the nature of your business isn't going to be as great as it was over the past decade. Maybe, you know, you're working fewer hours, which means that your, your production is, is down. And if all of that is true, and, and I think it is true, we're going to see more layoffs. And I think, you know, this whole concept of, uh, you know, we're adding jobs very rapidly is, is going to dissipate. And we're going to be looking at uh, a shift in the employment numbers, which, which is going to be very unpleasant. So, which brings up a question. Uh, do some of the metrics that we've been using for the last 50 years, I guess, um, do they need to be changed? I mean, how we measure productivity, um, which leads to a second question here, because you recently talked about the labor department numbers um, are sort of a head fake. Um, and we hear that a lot, that there, are they really measuring what we need to be measuring? So we have, we're, we're, we're measuring productivity based on the amount of output versus the number of people that are working. Uh, but at the same time, um, there's a lot of people have gig jobs. They have second jobs. They have third jobs. They're yeah. sort of off the radar. Right. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, just to give you one simple example, and Matt brought this up so that, you know, I should actually let him talk about it. But the birth death rate in the labor numbers is is is, is staggering. In other words, we, we added uh, over 300,000 jobs in the last number that came out. And if I looked at the numbers right, the birth death rate added 100,000 of those jobs. That was one third. But maybe Matt wants to comment about the last couple of, uh, you know, uh, reports, because basically this this will give you an idea of how skewed this this job number can be. Well, the, the birth death rate has been a controversial part of the unemployment number for, you know, going on decades at this point, because every time what they supposedly try to do, and we call it the birth death rate because that's what they call it, and it's kind of a somber name for it, but it's basically their guesstimate of people who've started new businesses that aren't yet reflective in federal data like the U.S. Census or aren't able to be captured by the current um, metrics. The problem with it is every year they go back 12 months later and revise what the birth death rate was. And consistently going back decades, the birth death rate overstates employment. And so it's, it's a problem. That said, you know, and to answer your question of do we need to change the metrics, you know, there, there's two issues. One is, does the metric, is the metric consistent? Because what you're really measuring is, you know, change. As long as you're using a consistent metric and, the, and it's capturing the directional change, then directionally it's probably going to be right, even though maybe mathematically it's not, you know, perfectly accurate. Um, as long as it's consistent and they're honoring the statistics that they're using, so month to month you're getting, you know, you're able to do a comparison from prior periods. The second part is comparing yourself to other countries and other regions that have different types of statistics, and then you're trying to compare. You know, how is America's GDP versus like China's GDP? Well, 
it's really hard to tell because they have a completely different calculation. You know, they use real estate in a different way that we don't. Um, they use projections in a way that we don't. So it, it's, you know, country to country, when you don't have consistent numbers, it's really hard to compare. But in terms of measuring the U.S. economy, you know, the before and after, as long as it's consistent, I'm pretty sure that that's the measurement that, you know, Wall Street wants to look at and, and take care of. The, the real problem with the birth death rate versus, you know, because you have two different two different agencies that measure the birth, the uh, unemployment number, the job gains, which is produced by the BLS. And then you have the unemployment rate, which is part of the census data. And lots of times when they're not consistent, like they haven't been the last couple of months, it sure looks like the job numbers are weakening, even though we have strong headline BLS numbers. And so this is when it gets confusing because... You know, we have a very low unemployment rate, but it sure looks and appears like the job market softening if you look at the census data instead of looking at the BLS data. Uh, so, Matt, and and uh, certainly uh, Dick, looking to you for, for your perspective on this, too. Uh, we've had, there, there's a, we have these job openings, and, and I agree that many of the job openings that people posted were never intended. It's almost they never intended to be filled. People just right. create these jobs, and and if we grow, we're going to fill them if we can find the people, and it continues. And and so a lot of those are fake. But do we? But but a lot of the numbers that we're looking at don't have. We, we just don't have the bodies. We just don't have the skilled labor. Our labor participation rate is is low. Uh, certainly, there may be another side to the story, but like your comment on that, male participation rate has been falling for 70 years, you know, according to BLS. Where do we go with that? Do, you know, if, if, even if we don't have the, the growth, the job growth, can we still fill these jobs? Or how do we fill these jobs? <laughs> I know that's, that's what our audience is looking for. How do we fill the jobs that we do have open? Well, I think the issue is training. In other words, I think uh, we've pulled this huge scam on, uh, the youth of America, in that we tell them, uh, you know, in order to get a job, you need to get a college education. And then you go to college, you you build up a huge amount of debt, uh, and you attempt to get a job when you graduate. And the uh, job market looks at you and says, well, what do you know? What can you do? Uh, and, and they can tell you uh, what Sophocles said. <laughs> Maybe they can tell you, you know, what, what some other, uh, you know, type of uh, esoteric information is. But, you know, can they uh, run a lathe? Can they, uh, you know, uh, you know, build a house? Can they can, can they uh, use their hands in a fashion that will create value? Um, I don't think so. Uh, and, and I don't think they've been trained to do that. So I think that uh, you really do have to start with the educational system and start to rebuild vocational training. I mean, I think I heard Jamie Dimon say this correctly uh, about six months ago. I think he said that J.P. Morgan Chase is no longer going to make donations to colleges, uh, you know, named colleges. It's going to make the donations instead to vocational schools and to, to schools which are oriented toward uh, providing workers, you know, for, for the economy. Uh, and, and I think, you know, you start there. I think the second point is that if, if you're an employer and you feel a need for people, you have to train them. If you're not going to train them, uh, in other words, if you think you're going to get them, uh, you know, popping out of the job market or popping out of colleges, I think you're mistaken. I think you've got to have a decent method of bringing people in, training them, uh, and and then, you know, building their loyalty and them as part of your workforce. 
Uh, and I think, you know, again, going to where I think the U.S. economy is going in the next few years, I think that's going to be critical because you can't drop someone into manufacturing or into, uh, you know, mining or into uh, defense, you know, and assume that they know how to do what is required of them. So again, I, I, a long-winded answer to the question. I think, you know, the, the, the college system has got to be revised dramatically. I think it's failed American youth and it's failing our, our, our economic system. I think that, uh, you know, training has got to be added at all levels of the system. Of the system. Yeah, not not long-winded at all. We, we hang on every word you say. Thank you. <laughs> hey, hey, John, I think you had a, um, you had a, I know you had a comment or or, or some opinion. Well, no, I, wanna, I, I agree with what Dick says. You put it extremely well. I mean, there are also just these structural problems in our labor force. I mean, like from the simple to the profound. I mean, I was shocked the other day when somebody mentioned to me that to be a, to be a florist in America, you need to have a license. I mean, it's just extraordinary to be a tour guide. You have to go and apply for a license, you know, so you're, you're, you're paying up there twice and it slows down, um, you know, the availability of all these um, workers. There's another thing that we covered on my podcast, um, Ira, the whole underground gig economy. And I think that hasn't been as transparent in the numbers out there as is, you know, as it should be. I mean, there are just so many Americans in the gig or underground economy. We don't even know, maybe as many as 40 or 50 million freelancers, and they're probably not adequately counted in the labor numbers. And maybe that's something that Dick could address. Well, basically the household, I mean, Matt just mentioned that we do two surveys. One is the uh, you know, establishment survey in which uh, supposedly 131,000 uh, establishments are culled every month and the question is asked, you know, are you hiring people? Who's how many people do you have working for you? Uh, and then the second survey is done of sixty thousand households, and you know the question there is, do you have a job? So, so the net effect is, if people are answering the uh, questionnaires on the household survey correctly, we're picking up those people who are working off the off the record, so to speak, in in in, in the gig economy. Uh, if the, those people are afraid to say, I have a job because they're worried if the government is asking them if they have a job, the next person will be asking them that question is the IRS, you know, they, w then you're not picking it up. You're not, you're not able to get it. But th this economy has been around for decades, right? In other words, the underground economy uh, surfaced in the 1960s and 1970s as something that, uh, you know, the, the American... Um, if you will, demographers were missing, that the people who were creating the GDP numbers were missing, you know, and, and there, there's been a real effort by the government to, to categorize and to, to quantify what's going on in that sector. But, you know, I mean, since it is underground and we don't know who they are, we, we can't say whether they, they've been more successful in, in ferreting out, you know, A, what these people are producing that, that adds to GDP, or B, whether they are in fact working uh, 60 hours a week, uh, th that we don't know. But, but you know, you, you can't fault the government for not trying because they, they are trying very hard to do that. In addition to which, if, you, if you've noticed, you know, the reports coming out of the Labor Department each month, you know, the Labor Department keeps seeking new ways 
of finding people who are in different categories so that they can properly indicate what the unemployment rate is. In other words, under something that they call U3, and it doesn't matter what it is, they said the unemployment rate is 3.5%. On something else, which they call U6, which takes in all of these different, you know, people, all of these different, you know, uh, you know, people who weren't being counted in the past, the unemployment rate is 7%. So, you know, it, 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 we, we can't nail down the numbers the way we would like, I think is what I'm trying to say. Well, I, I would point out that the government, I think, is trying to. The U6 number is commonly called the underemployment rate because it counts people who are working part-time that wish they were working full-time in, in addition to people who um, are seeking employment altogether. But going back on the gig economy, and this is a, you know, a criticism of the, BL, the latest BLS number, you know, Dick said about 100,000 of the 300,000 jobs created last month were from the, you know, the estimate of the birth death rate. But of the other 200,000 jobs, close to another 100,000 of those were people who were taking second jobs and they get counted as quote unquote new jobs because their, their primary job isn't um, making them enough money. And then the other part of that is people who are in part-time jobs who wish they were in full-time jobs, which is also counted in that 100,000. So when you get rid of you know all the all the noise the job number last month was closer to sub 100,000 of people who got full-time jobs and then you start looking at what sectors they were in and they're in kind of retail and and transitory type jobs that you know aren't exactly the type that you would aspire to if you want a full-time long career that has growth prospects and so you know part of it is they they do try to measure it. and i i'm kind of consistent in believing that as long as the measurement is consistent from period to period, you'll be capturing the, the change. Um, the, the last thing I'd say on the whole unemployment thing is the Federal Reserve has been pretty darn clear that what they're trying to do, because they have no other tools to increase supplies, is they want to recruit, reduce demand, and the price of reducing demand is reducing full-time employment. Yeah. And it seems like it's the goal to reduce employment, albeit it sure feels like the BLS is trying to delay the that number from showing up in the data until possibly after the election is my theory. Well, you know, the household number actually showed uh, an increase of 344,000 people who are now unemployed. Uh, and, in other words, we, we, we showed a big increase in employment. We also showed a big increase in unemployment uh, in terms of the way they calculate all these different subsectors of the numbers. So that uh, I, I believe we've peaked in terms of uh, the job market, I believe that we're going to see unemployment, uh, you know, start to rise. I believe that there's going to be a, a major retraining that has to be done as we move, as I say, from these technology-oriented situations to, um, you know, the, the manufacturing, defense, etc., industries. So I, I think that you know, we're in a state of turmoil, uh, not just because people are working at home or working in the office, but because the industries that are going to be hiring are going to be a lot different. And the industries that are going to be letting people go are ones that we, we know well, in fact, may have invested a lot of money in uh, because they're the hot names in the stock market. And, and, and I think, uh, Ira, you mentioned a, a whole bunch of uh, layoffs from companies that supposedly are the darlings of the stock market. The game is changing. You know, we're, we're in a separated economy uh, where we've created, you know, as a result of this, 
war in Ukraine, we've created two segments of the world economy, and we, we have gone away, if, 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 you, if you don't object, in, in 1990, when the Soviet Union fell apart and free trade opened up, and there was free flow of money, free flow of people, free flow of goods, what you saw was, you know, a shifting in where, uh, if you will, manufacturing was going to be done, where raw materials would come from. Well, that's now gone. It's gone. You know, we, we are not going to rely on Asia for the ma manufactured goods that we use. We are not going to rely on China for rare earths or for the chemicals that go into the drugs that we take. We are going to start doing that stuff here. And that means a different type of job, a different type of industry, a different type of opportunity. And it means where the game was is now ending. And I think, uh, therefore, if, you, if you're in the, in the human resources business, uh, you, you're well aware of the fact that you're not getting demands for more people if you're in these industries, where, which I say are, are going to be phased down. And you are getting huge demands for people if you're in the industries which are attempting to grow as fast as they can. Hey, Richard, you kind of touched on it. You alluded to it. How much of what we're going through right now is maybe just part of the growth curve of innovation? Uh, that we're going through a period of trying to adjust to all this change in terms of even generational changes in terms of what millennials and Gen Zs think in terms of work and how it fits in their life and what types of work they want to do, along with are certain companies starting to think through AI and automation and things like that. How much do you see maybe part of this being part of the growth curve that the economy really is going to change. And this isn't just a blip on the radar, but maybe we're entering a new world of normal in terms of how we think about the economy. Yeah, I, I think we are, Jason. I think that, you know, basically what we are doing right now is we're in this adjustment, right? The adjustment is that the Federal Reserve has got to kill inflation, which means that they're going to, as Matt said, they're going to increase unemployment. They're going to slow down the economy and, and therefore, you know, People, people are reacting to the adjustment. What they should be doing is exactly what you said. They should be thinking about what will the structure of the new economy in the United States be and how can I benefit or participate in what that new structure is. And I think that, you know, if we're going to succeed in manufacturing, it has got to be because we have used technology effectively, robotics, to lower the cost of producing goods so that these goods can be sold globally at very effective competitive prices. And that's going to be an area of tremendous opportunity. I mean, the jobs number last last month showed it again, that that's where the new jobs are coming from. That's where a lot of the, the new jobs are coming from. And also, you know, the jobs numbers are showing that there is a demand for people in manufacturing. There is the, the government uh, employment numbers didn't go up, but they're going to go up because defense needs are going to go up enormously. You know, we're still having this huge battle over fossil fuels uh, because, you know, the, the, the green people believe that they're not colored green, but the, the, the greens believe that basically uh, we can fulfill the energy needs of a growing economy with windmills and solar and, 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 and lithium batteries and storage. But the fact is we can't. 
we've got to have fossil fuels. And in order to effectively use fossil fuels, we've got to use technology to make, make the carbon dioxide not, not as, as, as bad as it is in terms of affecting the, the planet. So, you know, we're on the verge of an area of great opportunity. Of, of great, you know, growth in terms of uh, where the jobs are coming from, of where the, the the economy can grow, and unfortunately, we're just stuck in the mud at the moment because we've got to, you know, cleanse ourselves of the mistakes that were made, you know, with the too much money supply, you know, lower cost of funding, you know, you know, uh, too much money poured into uh, obsolescence, you know. We're going to get through this period, and it's just going to be fabulous where we're going to go after this. Um, following up on that, uh, we spoke about this on our latest episode of Odeon Capital Conversations, episode 33, Robotics IT. And anecdotally, we were just sharing notes about how in the past few months, it seems as if the grocery retail sector has been accelerating the introduction of self-service checkout and robotics technology. We don't have you know hard numbers on it, but... But that would seem to be the case. And on that same point, uh, with the right balance, technology can enhance productivity clearly. Um, Dick has a lot of data on this, um, how the number of banks, branches, the physical brick and mortar branches have been in decline throughout America. And yet employment overall headcount in the banking sector has been at a record high recently. And a lot of those jobs are well-paid middle-class IT jobs. So done right and with the right balance, technology can be a huge um, productivity enhancer. We don't want to be Luddites and the proper balance, um, we could move in the right direction. Yeah. I mean, we need technology. We need technology to lower the cost of manufacturing. We need technology to clean the emissions that fossil fuel creates. We need technology perhaps more now than ever. Uh, and, and we have it. We, we, we have the ability to do these things because, as I say, the economy is going to be going in this new direction and we need technology to facilitate that move and to make it more, most, most effective. I, I want to be cautious of, of everybody's time here. I know we all got busy schedules, including everybody who's listening. There's a couple elephants in the room that we, we need to address. And one is, I know, on top of mind, and especially with, uh, it, I just read the Fed's thinking of another 0.75 increase. Um, as you as you noted, that's a way to bring inflation under control, get the economy okay. It's going to increase employment. Two questions. One is, our, our GDP at least currently, uh, seems to be detached from employment, uh, at least from, the, from looking at the numbers. In the past 70 years, we've had uh, 12 recessions, I think. And in each case, unemployment usually went up to 6%. But some of the economists, some of the things I've been reading, say the highest that's going to go up is point, uh, maybe 4.6, 4 4.7%. Uh, Matt, Dick, do you agree with that? Do you, do you, although we, we agree unemployment is going to go up. Is it going to go up where it historically was? And then obvious question out there, are we headed toward, are, are we officially going to be in a recession, you know, beyond the uh, the two quarters? Uh, because I know there's some controversy with that. So, I think it's hard to, hard to argue that the Fed is not done. They're going to continue to increase interest rates. They're going to continue to liquidate their balance sheet if you believe them. And that we're looking 
probably a, a sustained level of unemployment if they're successful in getting inflation down via the tools they have. I think the, the hedge to that would be if for some reason supply comes back online and, and the world gets better um, and you could see inflation drop naturally, they might reverse course quick, quickly and luck themselves into a soft landing. But I don't know where anyone's coming up with these estimates saying that there's going to be 4.7% unemployment. Like, it's, it's, it's asinine. To, to, if you're that good at predicting things, you should be doing something else with your time because you become very, very rich. You know, I think uh, if you take a look at uh, the 1970s and the mistake that Arthur Burns made, uh, the head of the Fed at that time, uh, is that uh, he, he started to fight inflation. And then we ran into this massive uh, recession, 73, 75, which was, uh, you know, which was enormous relative to, uh, I, I apologize, which, which was enormous relative to, um, you know, any any recession that we had had since the depression. So, you know, uh, Burns panicked and he, he stopped tightening and he started easing on inflation uh, and he never went back to it. Uh, and then we got this guy, G. William Miller, who, uh, you know, further, you know, eased, eased monetary policy and, and inflation was off to the races until Paul Volcker stopped it. But the fact is that um, if, if we believe him, Powell understands what happened then. Powell understands that you can't, you know, take the first indication of a decline in prices or commodity prices and say, oh, inflation is beaten. You know, we can now go back to the old game. And therefore, I do not think this Fed is going to ease up for the next uh, 12 to 18 months. And I think as a result of that, that what we're going to see is uh, is uh, unemployment rise to a higher number. What, what the number is, I don't know. It's going to be a higher number. It's going to be unpleasant. People are going to be upset about it. It's going to have political ramifications. But uh, hopefully, this guy is not going to blink. He's not going to you know, uh, shift back to easy monetary policy, which is what he did a couple of years ago. Uh, he's he's going to stay with it. We're going to defeat inflation, and we can start, if, if you will, this new era. I, I would point out you could have rising jobs at the same time you have rising unemployment if the Fed is doing their job, because in theory, what they're trying to do is navigate, you know, the inflation number, which is you know the the, the demand side, and it's possible that the number of people looking for work exceeds the number of people getting jobs at the same time job growth is continuing because of the labor. Um, needs of the businesses. So two things could be true that we'd be looking at. You could see an increased employment while seeing a dramatically increased unemployment rate. Yeah, let me just add here also, and Dick has research on this, um, I guess it could be considered a hopeful sign. During the pandemic, uh, Americans saved a lot more and savings in bank deposits just accelerated. I think at one point it was an extra two point something trillion in bank accounts. And now banks are sitting on this record uh, amount of deposits and it's there to be loaned out to manufacturing, which apparently America has created over 600,000 manufacturing jobs, I guess, since President Biden took office. So that manufacturing shift is there. The money is at the banks to lend out. And I think Dick, you've been seeing evidence of that. Yeah, no, the, the, that is one of the reasons to argue that the uh, it will be a soft landing um, because basically the banking system of the United States is just sitting on this massive amount of, of uh, excess cash. I mean, hundreds of billions of dollars. We have banks now 
which are over a trillion dollars, over a couple of trillion dollars in size. And those banks have about a trillion dollars, JP Morgan, uh, about a trillion dollars in, in cash-like instruments already. So the money is there to fund the type of things that we're talking about. And I do think it's going to happen. Uh, one question, and, and then we've, we've got to lead toward wrapping this up, although I, I can be here all day <laughs> uh, I, if, for, if you guys are, are willing. Um, but if we try to wrap this up in just the next few minutes, I guess the one factor that I have, and I'm going to throw this out to you, Matt, because you, when you started talking about the birth debt, death number, I was, I was thinking you were talking about the fertility rate. Uh, so, uh, and, and the fact is, is that in 1960, we had 3.6 babies born, and now we have 1.6 babies born uh, per family. Uh, the, the challenge is that we now have baby boomers retiring. When we look at our labor market, we have baby boomers retiring. We have virtually very little immigration, or at least an anti-immigration policy. Uh, and if we look at the impact of those birth rates, uh, in the 60s, uh, in the late 50s and 60s, we had 2.5 million new baby boomers flooding the market every year for about 10 years. And then in the, in the 90s, uh, early 2000s, we had 2.5 million millennials entering the market. They're just bodies, but we had a lot of uh, opportunity. We're looking now at four to 500,000 new workers because of the lower birth rate, because of low immigration, and at the same time, the baby boomers are going out. So I guess that's where my question was coming from with the lower unemployment uh, in this recession, that it's not going to be that typical high rate. Um, and uh, Matt, as you said, we had higher job growth. You know, we, may, we could have job growth and higher unemployment. I, I guess that's the, the mitigating factor, I'm thinking. Am I off base or? It's a dark way of looking at the world if you want to start doing numbers. First off, the, the Social Security um, funding crisis, which is not on anyone's radar, is a disaster because they're increasing um, the fund the, the amount that is being paid out this year. I think it's 9.8%. So call it 10%. And the rule of seven says that that means Social Security, if we keep that going, the cost will double in the next seven years uh, unless they get inflation under control. Um, Already, you're sitting at a federal government that's basically, if you include Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security, and interest. So basically, the, the, the four things that you cannot get rid of as a government um, already are about 90% of the federal tax receipts. If you keep adding 10% to Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security every year, it's going to be about 100% by 2024. And then and then the rest is def deficit borrowing. I mean, it, the, the numbers don't work. That said, you you talked about the dem demography of America and how it's getting older and we're, we're not re being replaced with workers. Well, the, the solution is immigration. We have to change our immigration and that could actually probably be done rapidly um, under the right leadership if needed. And then the other point is, if you look around the world and you, you know, you think America's in really bad shape, which I agree, we're, we've, we've got too few immigrants, too few children, but we do have an immigration opportunity because people wanna come here. We are not the worst country. China, their demography problem is way worse. They are already a shrinking society. They're aging something like 0.7 years per every year that goes by. Their average age is pushing mid-40s. Our average age is around 36. You look at Germany, same thing. Their average age is getting older. They have a very top-heavy um, age demo demographic. Their their um, average birth replacement rate, I believe, is below, below one. 
and they don't have the immigration problem that we have because people don't want to necessarily go there and they aren't necessarily letting people in. Japan also has a problem. And so when you start looking around the world and you know you you, you try to say, okay, clearly the US has problems. Clearly we're going into, it's going to be worse five years from now than it is the last five years. We're still better off than every other country that's part of the G7. And I didn't, I forgot to mention Russia. Russia is also extremely top heavy. And, you know, if you're trying to get into the head of Vladimir Putin and no one's ever said it, but it sure seems like part of the motivation for going into Ukraine is Ukraine is full of young people. And maybe they're trying to solve a demographic problem there as well. But yeah, there's a lot of problems and it takes serious leaders and we don't have serious leaders right now. And we don't seem to have serious leaders on the horizon. It's a very vexing and frustrating problem if you want to be a believer in the United States. That said, we're better than everyone else. So if you're going to bet your money, you're going to bet on America. Matt, you just set up our, our follow-up show here at, at today, our live stream at 1 p.m. We're, we're talking about the future of leadership. And uh, our guest, which is Paul McCarthy, is like, we, we need a new model. We need a new approach to leadership. Yeah. I mean, by the way, who wants to go become part of the leadership? I mean, look at what the, the political process does to you as a person. You have to be really thick-skinned and basically emotionally strong to avoid the attacks and and have the competence to do it. And then when you get there, you have to kind of herd cats to get any bill that would make any difference across the finish line. It's a really frustrating, really frustrating as a voter. It's tough. And, and Dick, you're you're an incredibly busy man. I don't know if that was the White House call trying to call you <laughs> and get some advice after listening to our show. But I, think I know we've got influence and, we're, we, and John and I both have top rated podcasts and, and Jason. Um, but uh it's, uh, we really appreciate you being here. Um, we always close our show with one thing, and I know there's a billion more topics, um, literally, uh, that, we can, that we can bring up. But we always like to go around and ask our guests, is there one thing that we should have asked you that we didn't? So, Dick, I'm going to come to you first. Uh, is there something we should have asked you but didn't? Well, I think uh, the, the only thing that uh, we, we could have talked about that, I, that I'm very interested in right now is, is the uh, shrinking of the Federal Reserve balance sheet, because I don't think raising interest rates uh, really kill inflation. You've got to destroy liquidity uh, in order to destroy demand. Uh, and, and therefore, uh, you, we really have to take a very close look at what the Fed is doing with its balance sheet, uh, because that's the key to whether we're going to uh, get rid of this inflation or not, in, in, in my view. Well, and you, you have an open invitation. Anytime you want to come back and talk about that, uh, you can do that. Or you can go up to Odeon Capital Conversations and catch that because I know John and uh, Dick and Matt will be talking about that every week. Uh, Matt, what's your uh, what, what did we not ask that we should have? I, I think the biggest source of inflation going forward is going to be the cost of energy and the cost of increasing energy. Or if we're going to live with rolling blackouts, rolling brownouts, because we're converting to a green a greener energy supplies while not necessarily keeping up the fossil fuels, which is the ones that are efficient. Um, it's going to, it's going to be a source of inflation globally and in the United States, because it seems like there's a collective mindset in the West that as we want to go green, we don't want the price we're willing to pay is lack of consistent energy, lack of consistent pricing. And so I think that's something that we should be looking at a lot. And obviously that's playing into the European and Ukrainian situation heavily, but it's also playing into the, the ability to manufacture in California and Texas. And I think that's an interesting topic that people aren't really keeping their eyes on, especially if we're all supposed to buy electric cars and power them from this basically inefficient grid that, that 
doesn't have that much demand right now for electric cars. And that's another topic we'll have you back for. <laughs> so I appreciate that, John. Well, I think we've covered the gamut here. Uh, we could have looked at maybe currency instability, which Dick and Matt have talked about and we've discussed on Odeon Capital Conversations frequently. Um, and on that, um, the euro and dollar are on par now. The uh, euro has plunged with all the deteriorating conditions in Europe and interest rates on the rise, which to Matt's point, it's now much more attractive for a European immigrant from Ireland or Europe, mainland Europe, to come to America. They're getting a premium on uh, the, the dollar, you know, so one dollar equals one euro. I mean, compared to a year ago, that's just an extraordinary deal. So, you know, if there are enough workers over there, I say bring them here to America. For those who are interested in listening to Odeon uh, Capital Conversations, uh, Apple, Spotify, Amazon, all your favorite podcasts, if you have a question that you want to address to them, you can send it. You can see it scrolling at the bottom of the screen. But for those that are listening, podcast at odeoncap.com. If you're interested in going to uh, learning a little bit more about Odeon Capital Group, go to odeoncap.com. Uh, we really appreciate you being here today. Uh, again, this this could this could go on a long time. We you do have an open invitation anytime you want to go back to three of you. Uh, we hoping to do that. I encourage everybody to listen to Odeon Capital Conversations, a great show, um, a great conversations every single week, uh, just continuing the topics, going a lot more depth to what we talked about. And also uh, check out John uh, Aiden Burns' Dig Life Deep. Uh, another popular podcast, and uh, don't miss my segment on there. Every week we do about a three to five minute segment on the future on Future Shock 2.0. Uh, so some snapshots of that. Uh, thank you, gentlemen. Thank you for being here. Thank you, everybody, for listening. If you do have any questions, please continue the conversation in the comments, and uh, we'll make sure that uh, Dick, Matt, and John uh, can will will respond to those. I appreciate it. Uh, don't forget our regular shows are 1 p.m. every Wednesday. We do a live live stream. Today we're talking about the future of leadership. And thank you, Matt, for setting setting <laughs> that up uh, very much. Thank you. Stay, stay safe. Have a great day, everyone. Okay, thank, thank you. you.